2: What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two-Man
1: Power Trip.
2: Hi, folks.
0: I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw and Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes
2: or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two-Man Power Trip podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two-Man Power Trip. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Uh, this is a uh, special visitor to hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It
1: was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He
2: certainly didn't like me at that time. and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do.
1: Look, me and Gene, I can't beat me. I'm the greatest of all time, and I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the s***
0: out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania. can. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even
1: a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling.
2: Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. Boss Root fight, just watch this. Oh, man, he's on Mark already. He's almost apologizing to the guy for hitting him so hard. Bill Rao was giving it the, it doesn't
1: hurt, and of course you know what that means.
2: If you're talking in that ring to Boss, he's definitely gonna be talking back to you, most of the time with his feet and his fists. The real interesting thing is, is that Rubin just shook those shots off, but he's not going to be able to shake them off all night. No.
1: Took a bunch of them right there, took about four shots. Still
2: standing there. Had kind of an still standing and he did play. have an astonished look, didn't he? He, did. he hasn't thrown a high kick yet, though. I think Boston needs to be patient here. I think he should throw the look here. I think it's already gone longer than most people thought it was going to go. I think that's true. Hand lead by boss. Boss going to the going body, to the body. With a jab, or as he would say, a left straight. I yeah, yeah, yeah. remember this was supposed to be Kimo Leopoldo, who was to be the opponent of boss root. Villarreal stepped in when <laughs>
1: double
2: it, double it. <laughs> when Kimo was uh, found to have an illegal yeah. substance in his blood. Those, Those guys are having on. a nice little conversation in there. Yeah, I think they are. You know, and I think boss has got to be. Thankful in a way that Ruben stepped up to the plate. Ooh. Oh, nice man. left hand. If that left hand had landed flush, would might have gone down. Got a hand it to Warpath though. He's still standing, man. He's, he's taking some serious shots. Yeah, so far the Warpath is not a dead end street. A chopping right hand. I don't think we have to wonder about Boss's chin though. No. Ooh, a nice uppercut. yet to throw the kicks i know he hasn't thrown a single kick yet i'm, I'm a little surprised it's only a matter of time quadro there it is Here he goes back in the leg mr quadro excuse me <laughs> mr g it's a pleasure. It, it's my pleasure i remember one time it was you me and boss rooting uh hosting the pride fighting championships and, and for of people august 2002 and now look where we are watching our boy fight i know what a pleasure Just, to you know what? That, that hurt, hurt him that badly. Hurt. And don't think Boss is gonna not gonna take advantage of it. There it is, right there. And he's gonna do that and then come with an overhand right and a left hook. I said it at the beginning of the fight, I'll say it again. Game plan is low kick for this big monster. Yep, there's the right hand. Because Boss realizes now I can't take this guy out. The guy's got a chin like granite. Wow. Don Fly couldn't take him out. If anything, be a negative for Warpath is that he's not very fast, but he's limping. Look at this. Yeah, he's one, limping. One more, one only one, one like or two kicking. kicks. Oh, oh, oh. Oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's it. That's oh. It. This is Shades of Paul Ballas versus Marco Huas back in the old UFC. Warpath came in, got chopped right down, and Boss is feeling bad. El Wapo has returned successfully here at the Forum. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, he's back! Hello and welcome back to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the flagship interview show, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast, Empire. I am JP John Paz, and today's episode is with... Boss Rutin, the absolute legendary MMA fighter, MMA icon. He is one of the greatest of all time. UFC Hall of Famer, former UFC World Heavyweight Champion, the King of Pancrase, El Guapo, however you know him, whatever you want to call him, Boss Rutin is an awesome, awesome guest, and he's such a great talker. And you probably know him as one of the greatest MMA commentators of all time because he does quite a great job at color commentary as well. Obviously, I think most people remember his awesome work for Pride Fighting Championships in Japan with Mauro Ronaldo and the fight professor, Stephen Quadros. But, Boss Man, he is such a great talker, such a great interview, so much fun to talk to. His stories are great, his fights are legendary, his analysts are of everything is just amazing i just absolutely loved having the chance and the honor of speaking with him and had a pretty lengthy interview too it's pretty uh pretty great to get him for well over an hour so i mean awesome stuff from mr Rudin himself if you want to you can check out his facebook page where he does daily workouts pretty much every day but sunday but they even have something on sunday as well where it'll be a stretch day and basically take care of yourself day, heal up day, and then get ready again for the week of Monday through Saturday of working out with Bas Rutin. But awesome, that's 10 a.m. Pacific time, every day Monday through, basically Monday through Sunday, but basically really Monday through Saturday, and then Sunday you get the relaxation day. You just go to Facebook and look for Bas Rudin. But besides that, just want to talk about the interview just for a few minutes. Don't want to go too crazy because, like I said, it is long in length so obviously we're going to talk about Pancrase. we're going to talk about funaki we're going to talk about minero suzuki we're going to talk about ken shamrock we're going to talk about frank shamrock then of course we're going to talk about ufc as well and then we're going to talk about the end of his career and kind of what happened as he won 21 straight fights technically 22 fights in a row without a loss but then he retires due to injuries so if you think about it it's like man he could have probably kept going but he has a great anecdote and a great story in the interview about why it was great that his career ended when it did. And he's UFC World Heavyweight Champion, and he's forced to retire due to injury. And he's happy with that looking back. So stay tuned for that. That is a very, very interesting point that he makes and kind of surprising that he said it. I was a little kind of shocked by it because, you know, you're on top of the world, on top of the mountain. And he's almost saying he can't get much higher maybe, or that was a perfect ending point. So I just thought that was really cool part of the interview with Boss that we get to be able to talk about that and kind of get a different perspective on it as well. Uh, we talk about a lot of different things, even his pro wrestling career did some wrestling for New Japan Pro Wrestling did a little bit for Battle Arts uh, Antonio Inoki's Bumbaye so I mean he is kind of really done everything in his career obviously a very good Thai boxer very good kickboxer striking is phenomenal you kind of can tell from his pancreas days that his submission game is actually very strong as well. Initially it was weak and we talked about it in the interview. He was obsessed with it. He studied it, studied it, studied it, trained it and kind of created his own submission style. So awesome stuff when it comes to that part of the interview. I think if you're a real true fight fan you'll be enthralled by that conversation as well. But you know I don't want to go too too deep into it because like I said it is good in length so you're definitely going to get a, a long piece of that. So besides the interview with Bob route and just want to also talk about what's going on on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire dr tom pritchard yes taking you to school is available on our automatic feed part of our tmpt nation if you will part of the empire also check out dirty dutch yes dirty dutch mantel's university of dutch over on mlw radio then you could venture on over to podcast one's launchpad where rick bassman's talking tough is available and then of course last but not least the franchise shane douglas triple threat podcast over on vince russo's the brand. We've got some new stuff kind of coming down the pipeline. Hopefully, got some announcements to make soon. But uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy a little bit of Boss Rootin. I'll hit you with some two man power trip of wrestling business and then over to the interview. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at two man power trip and at Rasslin' Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Michael, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane, Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingKeys.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingKeys.com. Visit our store, visit JJ Dillon store, Friends Scene store, and of course, the franchise shank douglas store for all you android users out there find us on google play and player fm for all you ios users check us out on TuneIn radio spotify iheart radio automatic and now stitcher and of course check out the empire yes that is the tmpt empire now tmptempire.com empire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling and now without any further ado, the former King of Pancrase, the UFC Hall of Famer, former UFC World Heavyweight Champion, El Guapo himself, Bas Ruten Please enjoy.
2: Uno, dos, tres,
1: A former UFC Hall of Famer, the former UFC World Heavyweight Champion, an absolute MMA icon, El Guapo himself, boss Rutten, Boss, welcome to the two man power trip. Boom. Yeah, power trips. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what in the world have you been up to? I mean, you, you've been obviously all over the world doing so many different things. What have you been up to lately? And, I mean, probably not much, right?
0: Yeah, that's the thing, right? It's the whole uh, COVID-19 thing. Now we're uh, I'm streaming actually workouts for my gym every morning at 10 o'clock. I do it with one person, so it's still uh, it's illegal to do. The gym is closed, of course. But then every morning at 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific, you know, to uh, to my YouTube, my Facebook page, and to Fight TV. They heard I was doing it, and they was they asked me if they could uh, also broadcast it out to their two and a half million members. I say sure, I would love that. So, yeah, that's, that's keeping us busy. And for the rest, you know, do the things like making cameos, you know, that, that app. That people yeah. Can actually, yeah, so they had this new deal today. I made this commercial for uh, that everything today, tomorrow, and the day after, all the proceeds that I make are going to go to uh, COVID-19 and uh, uh, some, some funds that I uh, help. Uh, no Kid Hungry, I believe it's called. And uh, so, yeah, just busy with those kind of things. That's about it.
1: How's it like the popularity of the workout? I met a lot of people into it since they're all kind of home and looking for something to do.
0: Yeah, it looks like it is. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I I think a couple of hundred, like uh, we have like again, like 400 that stayed nonstop on. So that's 400 around the world who actually are doing the workout. And that that is only for my Facebook and YouTube account. I don't know what Fight TV has. So I, I, I think I'm going to get those numbers. Next week, and of course Facebook, they will say you get 14,000 views, you know. But people mm-hmm. check in yeah. and then they go again. But the ones that are completely steady the whole time, it's like about 400, 420. So, uh, and I already said I listen. Hey, if, if 10 people do it, I'm already a happy man. So if you can make 10 people happy, yeah. it's great. But this is it's a, it's better. So I like it.
1: And if you want to, you know, stay in shape and, and do some uh, some great cardio, and obviously learn from a master, there's probably no one better than you as far as uh, doing those kind of exercises and workouts and kickboxing and, and things like that, right?
0: Well, I, there's a lot of great coaches nowadays. So, uh, but I'm a little different, you know. I have a different stance, different thinking, way of thinking. I kind of came up with my whole style. I'm. I don't. Uh, How do I say? There's there's like blading, standing in the blading stance in in mixed martial arts. I think it makes absolutely no sense to me. You know, you're shutting down the whole left side of your body. That is, of course, if you're right-handed. You know, you don't. But if you have an open stance, like a Mike Tyson would fight in the early days, you know, you almost have equal power in both hands, both legs, checking everything, blocking, countering, everything becomes better. But the only thing that those uh, so-called professional boxing trainers say, yeah, you're a wide open target because you're standing yeah, open against your opponent. But you know, all the people that I mentioned, I said, Chuck Liddell fights like that. Robert Degas used to fight like that. I fought like that. Mike Tyson fought like that. None of us were ever down to the body. And I go like, well, if it's such a easy target, why wouldn't, uh, why wouldn't we never go down to the body? But that's of course, because you know, you're an open target, then your defense automatically becomes better there. I actually really use it against my opponent, you know, because they think I'm open. They're going to start hitting body shots. And, of course, I know what body shot it's going to be, so I have a nice left-hook counter or a right-hook counter waiting for them.
1: How would you kind of describe your fighting style, really, if you think about it? Because, like you said, you were more open. You you definitely had a little bit of different way of thinking, definitely a different style. Would you say it's like almost like a... Kickboxing esque but almost you could throw in some catch wrestling and some shoot style. Like, how would you describe your fighting style?
0: You know, yeah, I. That, that's right. So, so I look at just the people that inspired me always the most. Now, the hardest puncher on the planet is Mike Tyson. Uh, the the most powerful kickboxer I've ever lived, who unfortunately passed away, uh, Robin Decker's, and and Mike is standing wide open. And I thought, why would he do that? And and then suddenly I realized, wait a minute, you got almost equal power in your left and your right. I actually tested it one time. Uh, I had a 100% punch on my right hand, and my left, while I'm standing with my left leg at the front, was 93%. So it was only 7% lighter than my right hand, and not even with a load-up. So just standing with my left foot front, but just because I was standing square. So I go, wait a minute, now checking low kicks becomes easier. Checking kicks to the body becomes easier. Not only that it's much easier to counter them as well. So that I took and I just brought it to the next level, so to say, because I karate punches. I don't like twisting your punch. You know, everybody says you have to rotate your punch at the end. And I'm I'm all cool with that if it comes naturally. But if you tell somebody to do it, they start doing it right from where the punch takes off. So they're kind of telegraphing because that's where I used to look at That Elbows. I look at your body. If I see an elbow move, I already know a straight punch is coming uh it's hard to explain on the on, on the phone like this but mm-hmm. take it for me it, it really works and then my my submission game that came from myself i never had a coach i had a coach uh, chris dolman he taught me all the basics but all the stuff all the setups all the, the i i just found one guy leon leon van Dijk in holland and uh and we started both just training watching fights watching videos and then and i realized wait a minute I can actually make this move better, you know? And if I cannot make it better for everybody, at least I can make it better for me, you know? And then once we start experimenting and realizing, wait a minute, everybody knows a straight armbar from a mount position. What if I come up with a different way to go to that armbar? If you can create a way that your opponent never saw before, that's when you get successful. And then I realized also, wait a minute, that's just one way. What if I have four different ways for every submission? And I can start flipping them around. I go one, two, three, four, one, two, four, boom, boom, suddenly I catch him again. So, and that's started to do with every single technique. And then I say, wait a minute, if I'm escaping, rotating, or reversing somebody, why won't I go right away into a counterattack? Because if you reverse somebody in their mind, they go like, oh man, you know, and they shouldn't think, oh man, because at that moment they think, oh man, I'm already going in for a counterattack. And, you know, and then it just became super successful. Suddenly, listen, once I did my. I lost my last fight by submission, and then I just got so obsessed with submission suddenly because I, I knew I needed to learn it. I won my next eight fights by submissions, and I never lost a fight again, you know, only because I made the decision. Now, only going to focus on on the ground game. But, you know, when I say only focus, a, when I get obsessed, I get obsessed. That means waking up in the middle of the night, dreaming a submission, waking up my wife, putting in the submission, asking where it hurts, <laughs> Oh yeah, walking to, to the house. Hey honey, lean over. She goes, Oh, right, here we go again. Is this a joke? Do you do you get hurt now or you get dizzy? She said, I'm getting dizzy. I said, that's a blood joke. Okay, I would write it down. So I, it was the only thing I was doing all day long, and you know, just like everything else, if if you do it all day long and you fall in love with something, you're going to do it a lot, and then you automatically, of course, become good at it, and and it's just because it was all a little different than the normal. People would roll. I explode into submissions. I have always hand control. I don't like people grabbed by the wrist because they get tr- turned their arms. I came up with crazy as kids. I, I won fights with, with, with moves that I made up, you know, <clears throat> which I told the trust room. I said, watch, I'm going to do the boss with the neck rank today. I'm going to finish somebody. What is it? I said, just watch. Four minutes into the fight, got to be the boss with the neck rank, Boom. You see, that, that stuff I really enjoy. Looking back on it, you know, coming up with your own moves and actually winning a fight with it. That's cool stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned kind of losing, and, and I guess you're talking about when you were submitted by Ken Shamrock, and then kind of went on that huge roll, basically win 21 fights to, and and the career. But the losses to Ken Shamrock, you're saying like that kind of you became obsessed because of the submission loss, and you want to make sure you perfected that.
0: Yeah, that was 100. percent You know, I I really, yeah, that, I I'm a very sore loser. And especially at that time, you know, because everything is, a, you know, play cards with me, I want to win. You know, whatever it is, I always want to win. You know, it's just I'm wired like that. And, and I said, no, I don't want to lose anymore. You know, now I might get lucky one time and win a title, you know, but, you know, I always think that if you have a title, you have to at least defend it one time, you know, to solidify it and make sure because everybody can get lucky, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: if I, maybe in, my, in another match, I would lose by submission again. So it was either I'm going to stop with this whole sport, or I'm going to learn the submission game. And then I just suddenly fell in love with the submission game, which I never expected. And th- that's when everything started escalating. Yeah, that's when I yeah, just start submitting other people. I mean, I rolled with really good guys on the planet. I've never had trouble with people. It's really weird. And they all tell me, "He said, man, why did you learn that? I go, just myself, you know, because I'm so awkward the way I attack. They just never seen it. And that's why I can trick them here and there. So, and once, like a, a guy like BJ Penn, now I remember, I, I, don't, I didn't know BJ personally at the time, he called me, to was for his fight against Use. that's how long ago, and I know that because he said he was just going to take a jog uh, to prepare himself for that fight, and I go, why are you calling me? He goes, I'm watching your instructional DVDs. I go, so? And he goes, dude, they're freaking unbelievable. He said, who was your coach? I said, I never had a coach. I said, so who came up with that hand control that you always do, uh, that you do? I said, I did. He says, why? Because yeah, otherwise she can't roll out. They go, well, yeah, I love that. It's really <laughs> good. I'm very impressed. So just before I hang up, I go, whoa, 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 BJ, wait, can I, can I use that quote? Because, uh, you know, coming from you, a freaking ground fighting specialist, mm-hmm. you know, to give me such a compliment, I would love to have the quote from you. He says, yeah, of course, use it. So uh, that, that, was a, that was a nice phone call. You know, then you know you do, did something correct.
1: Absolutely. Now, you're kind of like self-taught as far as submissions and stuff, but how the heck did he get to Pancreas? How did you make it over there? Because that's the OG. I mean, people always think uh, UFC and stuff, but Pancreas is really OG of MMA. So how did you get in that world?
0: Uh, just uh, like the guy Chris Dolman, he was the owner of, of the owner. He was the, the Dutch owner from the organization Rings. Remember that organization? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. But, but Rings were a lot of works. You know, it like 90% of the 80% of the fights were, you know, like pro wrestling almost, but yes. because they yes. were moving real. So it looked real later on in their career when Dan Henderson and all these guys came, that's when they started to become a legit shoot fighting organization. But anyway, he called me one day and he, uh, hey, you got to jump in your car right now because Amsterdam at that time of day, it's like two and a half hour drive for me. He says, we have some two Japanese guys here for and Suzuki. Uh, they're from a new organization. Uh, I don't even know the name, he said, but they're looking for fighters. They're going to start this year. There was 93. He said, please come by. They want to videotape you, and maybe, you know, if they like you, then you you can fight for the organization. You can make some money in Japan. I go, cool. So I jumped in my car, went over there, and I had to roll a spar Thai boxing against one of his champions from rings. And the guy started going really hard against me. So I told him, I said, "Dude, just slow down. There's no need to go hard. You know, they just want to see technique." And I think he thought that I was afraid or so because he turned it up. So I told him again, I said, listen, I'm okay with this, but it's not going to be one-way traffic, you know. I'm going to do it back. You understand this, right? And, uh, of course, now it was on right away, but it was short because I had kicked him right away. Uh, really nice, round, roundhouse kick. He went down. He needed a whole bunch of stitches, and that was it. Funaki Suzuki, I saw him pointing at me, and we said, they said we want him. And I think three months later or so, two and a half, three months later, I was in Japan, September 93.
1: It was crazy. Masukatsu Funaki, absolute legend. And then obviously Minoru Suzuki, another absolute legend in kind of MMA, but also pro wrestling world as well. So it's pretty interesting group of characters as far as that first group of pancreas. I mean, Vernon White, uh, Takahashi's in there. Obviously Ken and Frank Shamrock, Jason DeLuca. Uh, De so many kind of cool and interesting and big names, right? I mean, you guys had a quite, Maury Smith too, to throw him out there, quite a roster to start out.
0: Yeah, no, you know, a lot of these guys became, from Pencroft became UFC champions, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about oh, yeah. It.
0: I mean, uh, Ken Shamrock, Frank Shamrock, you got uh, Guy Matzko won the four-man tournament, Maury Smith won, uh, George Burnett won, I won uh, a title, Takahashi did really good, beat uh, Valid Ismail and. the I mean, you know, if you think about that, these are six champions coming from one organization, so we knew we were doing something good in Pancras. And I truly believe it was the rules, which everybody goes like, "Ah, there's kind of weird rules like the rope escapes and all that stuff. I thought it was freaking awesome, because people, I have 15 submission, no 14 submission victories. but my real number is like 43. I have 43 submissions in Pancras. But if I would get them in the submission, they would uh, lay close to the rope and they could touch the rope. I had to let them go, but then they would get a lost point, the same as getting an eight count, so to say. So if you, at the end of the fight, if I made you grab the rope once and I never grabbed the rope, then I would win automatically. If I would knock you down one time, eight count, and I never went down after a fight, also uh, I would win. So the cool thing was, that some fights, like for instance, I had a fight against uh, Yanagi Saba. My first fight was against him, was 43 seconds. And my second fight against him was 27 minutes, I believe, because the first punch I threw, I broke my hand on his head. And hmm. the very first punch, immediately. And so I couldn't strike anymore, so I started taking him down and I went for a submission game. And I, I submitted him five times, because, well, that was a 30-minute fight. And in 30 minutes you know, five loss points. So if I would knock him down twice and three times submit him, but he can grab a rope, that will, that will be a loss. So the fifth submission, finally, you know, which was the last one. He had only five. I got him, I believe, it was a real naked choke or something. But you see what I mean now? Now I went to a fight and the kind of had five fights instead of one fight. Right. Because every time when you submit somebody and they grab a rope, you start back on your feet again. Boom, now fight. So you... All these guys in Pancras had way more ring time than anybody else because, you know, you started on your feet again, and now it was another fight. So I think that's why these guys were excelling at the submission game and in other organizations because they just had way more experience.
1: Absolutely. makes perfect sense, too. And I love that, you know, as you're kind of going through, right, you lose to Funaki's submission and Ken Shamrock a few times' submission, and you had a loss to, to, to uh, excuse me, Ken, and then, uh, then a loss to Frank majority. But like you said, then you start learning the ground game, then you start learning the submissions, then you beat Frank Shamrock, then you beat Minero Suzuki for the King of Pancrase, then rematch against Frank Shamrock. You beat him again to unify and basically defend your King of Pancreas title. So, I mean, you're really kind of learning your craft, and you're beating some pretty damn good, some of the greatest of all time.
0: Yeah, that was a it was a good time. You know what the thing was with me? I had no clue that I was going so well. It was so weird. It, I remember one person said one time, that was, I believe, Yanagi Sawa. He said to me, wow, boss, you already fought, you won like 11 fights in a row. And I go, what? He goes, you won 11 fights in a row. And I go, oh, shit. He goes, what? I said, I wish you wouldn't have said that. He says, what do you mean? I said, well, now I start thinking about that. I had no clue that I was just winning, 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 winning. I never counted it. You know, I go like, and I don't want to know, because it takes extra pressure again, you know, because now mm-hmm. you're yeah. go to 12 or to 13, you know. So, to wrap it up with a 25, 22 fight on the streak, you know, thankfully the Lord gave me some injuries, because I would have been that knucklehead who would kept on fighting, you know, and eventually you are going to lose. And you, take a look at Ken Shamrock. I love the guy. Great fighter, but, you know, he really tarnished his career at the end, you know, because just he wanted to keep on fighting, you know, and that it didn't work anymore I feel so bad because you're such a great guy and then you wrap it up with like I don't know how many losses, you know. It's a it's I'm I'm happy that I had the injuries. Of course I wasn't happy when I received them, but now I know it was for a reason, just to protect me and make sure that I was not gonna do the same path, keep on fighting and eventually you're gonna lose to these
1: young guys. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you think about it, if Cam would have retired like when he really first retired, he probably would have been known as one of the greatest of all time. But now people are like, oh, he lost to here or he lost to Tito, bunch or whatever. But it's really because he kind of came back injured, beat up, out of his prime, but he just kept fighting anyway.
0: That was the thing with him. I think you know people can say whatever they want about pro wrestling. Pro oh. wrestling is super tough, man. I'm telling you, I did pro wrestling in Japan. My mm-hmm. first three matches, first I broke my a disc in my back. Second I ruptured my eyeball, third one I broke an eardrum, which I couldn't repair because I fly you cannot fly for four weeks. Well, I always fly. So that for six years I could literally blow bubbles out of my ears. All the the all the people all the falls they make are real, everything, you know, and and I think that when Ken went to the WWE, um, I think, you know, so many shows, I think that's where he got injured. And then after that he started fighting again. I didn't think that was a good decision. I think something happened at the WWE that really messed up his body. And Ken is just a guy who loves the sport. And I talked to him about it. He says, boss, I can't let it go. I don't care. I just want to compete. I like to compete. And I completely understand that, you know, if you want to do it. But then you try to pick people from your own age or, you know, do something else. But, you know, of course. I I'm saying this now but I if I would be fighting I would never want to fight a guy my own age as well you know you want to still go and see test your skills against everybody else so and 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 like I said if I wouldn't have had injuries I'm I might have done the same thing as Ken was doing you know and eventually yeah well you are going to lose against guys half your age
1: and think about it like when you got hurt, you're UFC world heavyweight champion. You had just beaten Kevin Randleman for the title right before you beat TK, also in UFC. So you're undefeated in UFC and you're the world champion. Was that kind of hard to have happen to you at, at that that particular moment, not looking back, but at, at that time? It was hard. But you know
0: what? There was a thing that made it a little easier because what happened was that Frank was the champion. And, and And suddenly frank didn't want to fight. that was just, and then the UFC says, okay, Frank, uh, boss is going to fight Tito Ortiz. So I was going to face Tito, and then Frank called, and he says, "No, no, 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 uh, I'm going to fight Tito because I 'm the champion, and once I beat uh, tito i 'm fighting boss, and okay, go, okay, good, so at least okay, now I got my way in you know and then, but then he beat Tito and he retired because he also, he was also banged up, so now suddenly that fight was gone. And I go, okay, but, you know, I had a few fights in me. I already had my tendonitis, which I had to be very careful about because it was killing me. It's like an insane pain. I always tell people, you have no clue how much that hurts. It's like nothing like it. It's, it's a very annoying pain. And if it starts like four weeks before a fight, well, then for the next four weeks, two times a day, because that's when I work out, I'm going to be in insane pain. I have about 45 minutes without pain, and you can't put the clock on it. 45 minutes to start, and it's an hour and a half, two hours. Just, I mean, I would lose weight from the pain. I couldn't eat from the pain. I was so, and there's nothing you can take. It's not like you take pain pills because you're going to have to fight, you know. So right. It's not going to work. So, yeah, that was hard. So, But I said, you know what, I have this. I, I'm going to get the champion. And then, um, uh, oh no, okay, I, 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 I said it in the wrong order. So, at first, I became the UFC heavyweight champion.
1: Mm-hmm. But yes.
0: Think about this. I was 197 before the, I literally had to drink waters at my weigh-in to go over 200 pounds because I was too light. And I was already with my jeans and everything standing on the weigh-scale. He says, you're 197. You can fight, but it cannot be for the title. I said, why not? You need to be over 200. So I drank all the waters that my buddies were having, and then I got two or three. So I said, okay. So after this fight, I became the champion. Now I'm going to be the first one in history who's going to go to the, I, I believe they called it middleweight. It was heavyweight and middleweight. There was no light heavyweight. I believe it was. Yes, correct. Yep. And, 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 and 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 Frank was the middleweight champion. I said, okay, I want to be the first one in history who has two belts in two different divisions. And then I went down to there, uh, and, th- and then that whole thing happened. That, uh, you know, I was uh, Frank was going to fight. He didn't want to fight. Then, so I want to fight Tito. Then he said, no, I want to fight Tito. Then he fought Tito, and then he was going to fight me. And that, that never happened. And as soon as that happened, my motivation was also gone because I had already the injuries and I figured for one more fight to get a title fight right away in the middleweight division, you know, I can pluck through that, you know, I, I can deal with the pain for another two months, but at least I have that chance because it would be cool, you know, to be the very first one in history to do that. And unfortunately uh, it never happened. So.
1: Yeah. Injuries kind of, uh, ended that bit. And then obviously Frank ends up retiring really. And, uh, kind of screws up things a little bit for, for UFC. How come you returned in 2006 against Ruben Villarreal? Um,
0: you know, there was two reasons. Um, the main reason uh, it was money. You know, there was, uh, I was doing a lot of things, but, you know, I still wanted the money. And, and I wanted to go to a house. I don't live in a big house, but just a house with a pool in the back. And so, but I was also drinking heavily at the time. Like a lot. I was drinking a lot. Because once you stop fighting, you know, you try to find a replacement for that high that you're getting, I guess. I don't know. And a lot of athletes go through this. Whether it's football or whatever sport it is, it's either alcohol or drugs that they gotta go to. And for me, it was alcohol. And then it was uh, something where they offered the fight. And it was a great amount of money. I believe it was $225,000. And you know, the, the most I made was in the U.S. It was like sixty, I think, which was at the time really great because that was for the whole tour- tournament normally, 60000 So that was already great. But now to have this money, I say, okay, I'm going to do it, because if I say yes to the fight, I'm going to have to stop drinking, you know, because then you, have to, you can't drink and train. It's not going to work. So, uh, and thankfully, it happened like that, you know. So I took the fight. Uh, I also thought my injuries were gone, which were not gone. Uh, they came back after like, four, five, six weeks. They all came back, and then some with a vengeance. But you know, at least it made me stop drinking, and and from that moment on, I, I never fell back to that crap, you know. So for me, yeah, it was drinking, but also for the money. But the drinking was the number one priority.
1: That is uh, pretty kind of crazy to think. Like, okay, you know, uh, if I uh, start training again, maybe I'll stop drinking. You know, kind of an interesting way to kind of go about life, right? I mean, definitely a uh, interesting decision. Like, hey, you know, you know what'll make me stop drinking? Get back out there and train to fight.
0: Listen, I won 21 fights in a row at that time. So yeah, okay. I yeah. Was, I, I was not, not going to lose that last fight. So, you know, if, if I would be still an alcoholic, you know, then I would be, mm-hmm. then I maybe would tra- train half. But no, I really want to win. And I know myself, so I know that I do not want to lose. That means that I'm going to be forced to stop drinking. There's no way I can drink and train,
1: you know. So, uh,
0: yeah, thankfully it worked out that way
1: you're also known as it's because you win that fight by a leg kick, but you're also known as, as just a great kicker and deliver kicks and things like that was kickboxing and, and kicking and, and like the karate aspect of it. Was that always something that you were into even, even as a youngster? Yeah. You know, that was,
0: it was a Bruce Lee movie. You know, I had this horrible skin disease and I had severe asthma. So I was this fair skinny kid with eczema on his hands and face and his ears. They called me the leper, you know. So needless to say, I was bullied a lot as a kid. And then when I saw a Bruce Lee movie when I was 12, Enter the Dragon, that changed everything, you know. And and then I asked my parents if I could start training. took me two years to convince them. But finally, when I started training, it was Taekwondo. Um, I mean, within two and a half months. I I was training with the adults. I I was fortunate to have a very beautiful uh, neighbor girl. Uh, there were actually two of them. But one of them, she's beautiful, and she was dating the cool guy in town. Xavier was his name. And uh, he took—he always kind of helped me because he saw I was bullied, you know, and he was he was a nice guy to me. He took me with him to the adult classes. And, yeah, within months I stopped beating the adults, you know. So then I overheard the adults talking about me in the dressing room, in the locker room. Uh, man, this kid is good. So, so, when you hear as a kid only negativity about you, but then suddenly adults start speaking highly of you, you know, that led to, of course, the first street fight, my first big fight with the biggest bully in my school, uh, who shouted against something, hey, leper, or whatever. At this time, I shouted something back. I was riding my bicycle, and he was with like six of his buddies, and I heard them laugh. And I'm looking back, and sure enough, they started to chase me. And I said, This is it. I'm not going to. I'm going to face it now. So I put my bike on the stand and I was just waiting for them and they surrounded me with the bikes. And the tough guy, Shaki, came and he started bumping his chest and come on, a leper hit me. So I knocked him out. <laughs> <And that> was, <laughs> it was one punch, you know. And then I realized, wait a minute, it was actually really easy, you know. And then, of course, the bullying stopped 95% uh, in one punch. I cleared it all out. And then I started going after all the bullies that bullied me in the past. I made a list and I went after everybody. And it was really sad at certain times because some of these guys, they were so bad to me. But once I got them, they they didn't even remember what they said. I said, well, I remember it. And that's what counts because it's still in my head. And I would just beat them up, you know. But then I realized, wait a minute, I got a feel for it. So then when I started Thai boxing, well, I started knocking out people left and right. And then, you know, I just really enjoyed the striking. I have to say also, when I was 21, I started uh, a karate form. It was called Shinpai Karate. It was with like little trips here and there, but really nothing advanced. But but the striking was great. But what was more better was the instructor. His name was Roland, and he was a really great instructor. knew how to you know exactly how to where to get the power from. And then of course, once I started watching fights like Ramon Deckers, you know, and you once you, you see power like that. You know, you i I'm always been good with whatever I see. I can break it down in my head and see if I can generate the same kind of stuff. I just start imitating, imitating. And then, you know, once you start imitating, you realize, wait a minute, it's getting, it's getting really strong. So that's what I did, just paying a lot of attention to the biggest punches, the biggest kickers, and putting that in my own system. And thankfully, I was able to do it. So, yeah, I always mesmerized with kicking really hard. I always enjoyed that.
1: And it really—I mean—you were prolifically one of the, like the one of the best strikers, and you saying a lot of stuff came easy. So when you are the leper and you're getting bullied and you're kind of getting through, how does the leper with eczema and all that that stuff? How does he become El Guapo? You know, that's from a movie that's uh, from the Three
0: Amigos with Martin Short, yeah, oh, yeah. Chevy Chase, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah Steve Martin,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that's one of my favorite movies. It's such a funny humor; it's so cheesy, but it's. Uh, it's hilarious. And, and the bad guy in that movie, his name is El Wapo. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So yeah. in 2000, we're at the Pride Fighting Championships. Kenny Shamrock is there with Tina Shamrock, his wife at the time. And then, of course, Mark Coleman is there, who won the whole thing. But Kevin Randleman is there. And in the mornings, those, those are the best times. when. I'm always telling you, you can ask any fighter, they'll probably say the same thing, who fought at Pride. The breakfast at the Tokyo Hilton in japan forget about it best breakfast i've been around the world i've been to five star hotels i've been but their breakfast and every fighter will tell you the same it's just insanely good but the good thing is like japan with the time difference that means that you wake up at four in the morning you have to wait two hours for the breakfast to open up and you're super hungry because it's it's daytime for you already so everybody's waiting at like five thirty because they at six o'clock they open up and all these fighters are there. They would go into the breakfast place and most of the time we go sit at one big table. Everybody start telling jokes and eating food and you know having a great time. There's always laughing and it's such a good time. It's something that I really miss. I talk about a, uh, I talk to a lot of fighters about this and they, they say the same thing. But anyway, that time we have Mark Coleman, Kevin Randleman, and then Tina Shamrock, Ken Shamrock. And Some other people were sitting at our table. Mauro Ronello is there. Uh, I think, wait a minute, There was uh, Stephen Quadros is there at the time because Mauro wasn't in there yet. And uh, we're talking about the movie The Three Amigos. And since Tina Shamrock, she's from Mexico, so I asked her suddenly because I used to call myself the most handsome fighter in NHB, no holds barred. That's what I asked. Yeah, That's yeah, fun. yeah, and um. And so I asked her, I said, Oh man, it's a funny movie. I said, What does it mean, El Wapo? And she says, It means the handsome. So I started laughing at it. And that's hilarious because the guy in the movie, he's an ugly guy, but they call him El Wapo because everybody's afraid of him. I thought it was hilarious. That was it. And then suddenly, when I believe Kevin Rendleman, he started it. When he got up, he says, Okay, Wapo, we'll see you in a bit. And he walked off. And that was it. And like everywhere I went, suddenly people go, Hey, Wapo, this, so. That was Kevin Redelman, who started it in 2000 when we found out that El Wapo
1: means the handsome. Great. I love that. And pride those days. Whew. Everyone kind of thinks UFC like the best or number one. No, no, pride. That's where it was. Best production, best fighters, best arenas, best announcers, including you. I mean, it was like the perfect mix of everybody. How did you get involved with, like, the announce game and Pride? Because you fit them like a glove. I mean, did that you and Quadros and you and Mauro, awesome teams.
0: You know what? I was so fortunate. Listen, I never thought about commentating. But I was training marker uh, 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 for, 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 uh, the, for the Pride Final Championships. So I went with him to the show, and that was already in 98 and 99. He was already competing there, and in the 2000s, they were going to have the tournament, which is the one that uh, that uh, Mark Coleman won. But anyway, so I'm watching, I'm sitting behind stage, and suddenly we're I'm, I'm, I'm watching the fights on a TV that's on in the dressing room, you know, before Mark fights, because Mark was so good, he was always the main event. So we were just sitting there, warming him up and watching the other fights. And we had some people from the from Pride Fighting Championships who were sitting with us as well uh, from the from the organization. And um, I'm watching, and I go, oh, okay, oh, he's going to get armbarred. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, he's going to get armbarred. He said, but the, he's not doing anything. I said, give it 10 seconds, and we'll be there. Oh, see, there it is, and, and the guy won by armbar. So they look at me and go, how, can you see, how did you know that? I said, well, you can tell. You know, you can see what he's mm-hmm. setting up and the way he does it. And the next fight, I believe it was Carlos Newton against Sakuraba. And uh, uh, Sakuraba was an all-force. And, and Carlos is sitting behind him. And he has one knee in between his legs. I go, Oh, he's going to roll into a knee bar. He's going to watch out. He's going to roll him into a knee bar. And they go again. You know, he said, What do you mean? I said, Just give it some time. He, oh, there we go. Boom. And he got him in the knee bar. And they were like, What the heck? He said, uh, uh, d- Listen, next month or uh, the next show. Uh, we're going to broadcast to the States because it's going to be a tournament and we need announcers. Would you like to be an announcer? And I go, sure. You know, I had no clue about announcing. Trust me. You know how much I didn't understand about announcing? This is the dumbest thing. That's how you can see how stupid I can be sometimes. So I say yes to the job. I come at the event. Uh, We're doing the show. I'm walking into the bus to go to the event. And somebody asked me, I'm wearing my shorts and flip-flops and a, and a Hawaiian flower shirt. And they say, where's your suit? And I go, excuse me? <laughs> and he goes, suit? I go, what do you mean? He says, are you serious? I go, what do you mean? He says, you need a suit, boss. I said, why would I need a suit? I'm, I'm, I'm behind a microphone. I never paid attention to people opening the show. I never did that. <laughs> I thought it was just a voice. And they go, are you serious? I go, I swear to God, I didn't bring a suit. <laughs> you know, so they're freaking out. And thankfully, Michael Braverman, who was doing the production at the time, was a really good guy. He says, no, 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 we'll work with it. We'll work with it. He says, okay, let's get Stephen Quadros. He is in the arena. And then we come up with something funny, you know, like boss is backstage. He got these eight Japanese geishas in robes. They're fanning me down, feeding me grapes. And I'm telling war stories. You're know, like, oh, I was there, you know, 12 guys were ready to attack me, but girls don't worry, you know. Mm-hmm. And while I'm talking like that, Steven Quadros is doing the announcing on the inside from the arena. And he says, hey, boss, what are you doing? Let's throw back to boss. And then it goes to me in the dressing room at the Geishas. And, I, you know, I talk about the fight and they send it back. And But that suddenly became this big thing in Pride, you know, because that was the opening of the show. And everybody enjoyed it so much that from that moment on, every time we, you know, in the beginning, when you watch Pride Fighting Championships, we would always open with a skit. Mm-hmm. You know? But that came because of the first time, because I forgot my suit. I, I forgot. I didn't even know I had to wear a suit. So <laughs> we were forced to do that, and that became a stick. and suddenly we had to do it every show. It was funny.
1: That's awesome. That is great. You didn't even realize it. That is great. Uh, I love it. Accidentally, because uh, people probably thought that was all sk- like a skit that you set up previously You know, with the production team stuff. That yeah. is great that it's basically all natural.
0: That's it, man. I, I love it. When things come natural, you know, that's when it starts. Then we did the opening with the Alistair Overy, with Kurt Jackson, with the, the uh, waiting in line at the the, the the Tokyo Dome. And, I mean, we did such a funny openings. But, again, it all comes just because I, for, I
1: didn't bring a suit the first time I had to do the show. That is great. How did you actually, like, enjoy announcing? Because you were such a natural. You were so good. And even some things off the cuff, like you would go crazy for Fedor's theme song, which is just great. Because at home, you're kind of thinking the same thing. Like, oh, this song is great. like, And you're like, this is the greatest song. Like, you were such a natural, but you were so relaxed. How do you kind of explain that? Like, you so good, but, like, there's no pressure to it.
0: Yeah, that, that was the thing. You know, for me, the pressure would be, like, the opening of the show or the things – but, you know, I would, once I see fighting, I become, you know, it becomes like I'm fighting. Uh, I'm saying this is because people always go, oh, you weren't nervous when you're fighting. I said, no, I, I really wasn't. I might be in the dressing room a little there and there, but, you know, I knew for myself that once I walk to the ring and uh, the cage, whatever it is, I'm completely in the zone. I feel great. I'm You know, I can't hear any. I'm in this bubble where nobody can touch me. Uh, touch me. And so once I start commentating, I guess it was just like that. I, I, I just, and I don't care if you, how many times people are screaming in my ear, like when I do for NBC or something, like, don't, 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 because I just start singing. I don't know that I'm doing it, really. I'm not <laughs> planning anything. All the lines that I said, you know how many times that when you hear Mataleo, apparently the only way to kill a line is to sh- choke it out, I say, I would just kick it in the head. Like these comments that I all read, all these lines that I said, I had no clue I said that, that I literally had to go back and, and re- listen. I go, oh, yeah, I really said that. That's weird. You know, because I just do whatever I want to do at that moment, whether it's just singing a Justin Bieber song or, you know, it's not. It's never forced. It always comes naturally. I never thought about it. And apparently the people liked it somehow, you know, So uh, because it was different, I guess. I don't know. I, I, you know, that's the thing with me again. I never pay attention to that and also not what people say. I just want to do my own things. If I'm not allowed to do it, they will tell me in my ear, my IFB, hey, Bush, can't do this anymore. And then I will never do that anymore. But unless they stop me, I just keep doing what I'm doing. And thankfully, the people were okay with it.
1: So good and so natural. And like you said, you would just watch something like Sakuraba do something crazy or you think silly. You're like, Nope, I know what he's up to. So you were one of those guys that you obviously were one of the greatest fighters of all time, but you can parlay that into talking to the people and letting them know in kind of simpler terms. You know what I mean? Like you were very natural at making it easier for the fans watching it to, to kind of learn what's going on, albeit while they're watching a, a crazy sport. You know that's
0: a, such a cool thing because you're not the only one who says it to me. I have so many fans who tell me, "Man, I learned so much from the sport by listening to you." And I and my other commentators always ask me, "What do you do different, uh, boss? What should I do?" I say, "Treat everybody at home as a white belt." That's what I do. That's mm-hmm. the only thing that I do because you know many times you know a wrestler says, "Oh, you got to run the pipe." Ninety-nine percent of the people at home have no clue what you just said. Run the pipe. What is run the pipe? Well, explain, and that's what I do. You know, I say something, and then I say, oh, for the people at home who don't understand that, this is what it is, and I explain what it is, you know? So I just treated everybody at home as a white belt, so I gave him some information, and then uh, also to not offend other people, I said, well, a lot of these fighters who are watching know this, but a lot of other people who don't know it, and for those people, this is what this is, and then I just explain it, you know? So I, to me, I didn't do anything... I think it's the teacher for me. I, I always really enjoy teaching, and I like setups, and I love creativity, and that together with just uh, teaching everybody, yeah, as they are a, black, a white belt, you know, it has to be it because a bit the streamings, I do these streamings, and and mm-hmm. I was talking about it for the last four weeks now almost. We've been doing it every day. And and I know that I'm repeating myself every single time. And I say, listen, I know I say this all the time. Rotate your upper body. Does this, this. But all the things that I'm saying are so important, I just want to hammer it in there. And then I point to Dana. This, she's the girl who does it with me. And I always say, I say, if you th- if she heard this at least 500 times from me, they have to get sick of me saying this. You know, because I'm, I'm all about the basics and hammering it in. And the fun part was that one time we had a student who came, he trained for us for six weeks or so, and at the end he, he, he tried to be cool, I guess, and he goes, hey, boss, am I in the middle of the class, he goes, you know what's funny? I say, tell me what's funny. He says, for the last six weeks, you've been saying the same stuff over and over again. I go, yeah. I say, you, you want to hear something more funny? And he goes, what? I say, you're still not doing what I told you to do. and and everybody started laughing. I said, no, this literally is because of people like you and like everybody else here. I can say it as many times as you want, but until not everybody's doing it, I will keep saying it. Once everybody complies and they do it, you will never hear me say it again. I said, but the only reason I'm saying it is because of knucklehead's like you, (laughs) because I have to, because she's still not doing it. So that's always how I've been training. So I can repeat myself a lot. But it's all for a reason. I just wanted to ingrain it in your mind that you'll never forget it.
1: Love that. And I just thought you and Stephen Quadros and then even you and Mauro Ranallo, of course, had such great chemistry. Easy working with those guys?
0: Ah, super easy, man. Quadros has always been super easy. Such a pleasure to work with. The fight professor, crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, information that he all the time has, you know, and I think we, he's all, he's also a little off, just like me. We have this crazy humor, uh, but you know, he needed to play more the straight guy uh, because if if we're both gonna do it, you know, then of course it's not gonna be as fun. And he's always be a guy who says, "Oh guys, guys, relax, chill down," and that was thankfully he took that role. But don't <laughs> don't believe for a second that he's not funny because he's hilarious. And sometimes he'll come out. Sometimes he says really funny things. But, you know, and it's the same with uh, with uh, Maro. You know, Maro is also the guy who, you know, I met Maro. I think, four years before the Pride Fighting Championships. We were doing a movie together. We were the announcers in some really bad movie in where <laughs> where they were going to do, we were going to do the commentary and that they will make, base, They will. this is the craziest thing you ever heard, they were going to make a fight and they will build it around our commentating. So it's not like they fight first and then we commentate. No, we commentate and they build a fight. And I go, guys, that's never going to work. That will never work, 100%. I said, but hey, you're paying, right? Yeah. I said, okay, let's do it. I don't care, you know, if you figure yep. that out yep. later. As long as we pay, it's good. So Mauro walks in, and Mauro, I never at – first it started with I have six-page script that I'm already for 20 minutes hammer, trying to hammer it in my head because there's a lot of freaking lines that we have to do, and we had to be on camera for something. And uh, Mauro walks in. I gave him a script. He's literally, I'm talking three minutes and he throws the script away. He said, I, Let's start. And I go, What do you mean? I say, You got it? And he goes, Yeah. I go, Bull crap, man. And he goes, No. So I go to page three and I, I say a line and he answers. And I go, Holy crap, he 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 memorized the six pages in freaking three, three minutes. How is it even possible, you know? So I go, man, and then I heard his voice, and we, start, and we start playing around. And, I mean, they have to stop the production a budgetize because people were dying laughing because we were just cracking jokes. While we do the commentating, I go, I look at him, I say, man, give me your name. You know, you need to be on TV. I mean, what a talent you got. You know, this is insane. And then uh, I say, you never know if something happens, you know. And that happened in like 2004 or 5, when they didn't want to work with Quadros anymore. They asked me first if I knew somebody, and you know what? I'm good friends with Stephen, and I I thought that if I'm going to get Mauro in, Stephen might think that I said this. I felt really bad about the whole situation, so I said no. And they got Damon Perry at the time. Damon Perry was the he was a radio host, so little this guy kept on talking. My friend, oh, you have no. There is a moment during the fight that I literally put my hand on his mouth, like literally physically shut hmm. the hell up. Let me talk. You have no clue what goes on, but you keep on talking. You know, it's insane. So that didn't work out. And then they say, do you don't, you really don't know anybody? I go, you know, actually I do. I hope the number still works. This is four years ago. And I left a message and Maro went through a really bad time at the time. He's bipolar. As everybody knows, they made a mm-hmm. showtime uh, documentary about him, the bipolar rock and roller. You can watch it on showtime. Yep. And he just came out of the crazy house because he he got really crazy. And his mother said, hey, there's a guy with a weird accent on the answering machine. Maybe you should listen. He sent you the tape. And boom, they got him, man. And that, that was it. He was, uh, and I told him. I told him that. I, I think it was June or something. I said, you understand that You're going to be the best commentator in the world, right? You understand? He goes, no, no, no. I said, you watch that year already, he was the first play-by-play guy immediately, and then he started winning every single year as best play-by-play guy. And I go, I told you, every year he would call me with Christmas and New Year's, crying on the phone, thank you so much. I go, dude, it's not me, it's you, because if you would have sucked, you know, I could have never done that. But you have so much talent, the world just needs to know that. And uh, I was so happy I could do that for him, because look at him now. I mean... Showtime boxing, he's do the WWE, the Bellator. He, I mean, he does everything at the highest level. He's just a really smart dude.
1: Yeah, he's he is excellent. He is amazing, and like you said, every sport he's great at. I mean, he just he is a master of the game. That's uh, that's for sure. Now, as we head towards the finish, we head towards the wind down. I got to know where the you know the the root and jump, your infamous you know split legged jump. Where did that come from?
0: You know, that was just euphoria. That was, that was, what happened was, uh, I have pictures of me, uh, one picture of me when I was 16 or 17 in the air, jumping in the splits. I used to do that just to show off or, you know, like, hey, fun. And, um, and when I knocked the first guy out, you have to understand, that people have no clue. So I'm from Holland. I come from Thai boxing. I come from five rounds of three minutes. And weight classes are important. So now I go to Japan. I'm the first day in Japan, and I realize there's no weigh-in the day before, which I thought it was odd, you know. But, you know, I'm facing a Japanese guy. They're known for their honesty, so I'm pretty sure he's going to be on weight. So the next day I go to the show, and this big guy comes to me, and he shakes my hand. I say, oh, hey, very nice meeting you. Good, good. I say, oh, you're the promoter. He goes, no, no, I'm fighting you tonight. And I go, like, you're fighting me tonight. I say, what's your weight? And he goes, 235. I say, 235. He says, what are you? I say, three. I think I was actually lighter at the time, 201 or something. So I'm going, is that not too heavy? And at that moment, the promoter walks over. And I say, hey, how are you? Nice meeting you. Yeah, good. I say, hey, listen, he's like 35 pounds heavier than I am. Is that okay? And he goes, yeah, yeah, no, there's no weight classes, Mr. Rhythm. I go, no weight classes. I go, okay, good. So I'm acting like I'm all happy. But, of course, inside I go, like, dude, now I'm facing a guy 35 pounds or 33 pounds heavier. This is crazy. So just before the guy walks away, I say, one more question, please. How many rounds are we fighting? He goes, one round. So I, I'm all happy. I ask, how many minutes? He goes, 30. 30 minutes.
1: Mm. And,
0: again, I'm forcing a smile. I go, great. I'm in great shape, you know. And I look at my manager. I go, dude, what do we got here? I'm facing this guy. 32 pounds heavier than I am in a 30 minutes fight. This is crazy. So then when I went to the fight, and because my opponent was taller than me, I gave him a high kick, and right away, as soon as I planted my foot, I palm strike him because he was taller than me. So upward palm strike, and he went down. Then I he got an eight count, and then I dropped him again. But I was so excited because I was so much stressed before the fight that. I don't know why I just jumped up to the splits to all the corners of the ring. So to all the people. And then it became my jump. I remember the second time when I fought, I knocked the guy out to the knee to the liver and I was just wanted to go back. And I said, no, no, Mr. Root, you have to do jump. I go, what do you mean? You're going to jump like last time. Okay. you want me to do this every time now? Yeah, I go, Oh, here we go. <laughs> you no, know, I got to do that. You know? And that fight, I was actually super tired. I was super sick. I was throwing up the whole day. They let me travel for eight hours on the day of the fight to go to the fight. I, I didn't sleep uh, like an hour because when they come from Holland they you go to Japan, well, nighttime is daytime. So there's no, like, 7 o'clock in the morning is a club, 11 o'clock at night for you. So around 7, that's when you start getting tired. So, and then at 8 o'clock, they pick me up. Let me travel to, like, 4 o'clock. They give me half an hour in my hotel to shower and then I had to go to the arena. So I was pooped, man. I almost couldn't do the jumps afterwards. That's how much, uh, how tired I was. But that's how it came, you know. I was just super excited and and jumped up in the splits just because I did it before, I guess, when I was young.
1: It's one of those cool things if you look at, like, you know, like the Jordan logo, the Bas Rudin logo. You know, like the, the you doing the splits is kind of like an awesome logo, like trademark kind of thing. I just think it's awesome.
0: Yeah, I was, you know, I was, I was deep down inside. I was kind of hoping because I write, I like the logo a lot. And I go, man, this is like, like you said, you know, with Nike, you know, the mm-hmm. jump or, or, you know, and there's one thing I said, man, that could be a cool logo, like, you know, enjoying life. It, it can mean everything, a jump like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But unfortunately, it never got that big. <laughs> <It would be> <laughs> still... <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Now you did mention pro wrestling as well because you did work for. Um... Obviously, Enoki, you did E you did Battle Arts, you did New Japan Pro Wrestling. You mentioned it was harder than, than people even really could imagine. Did you enjoy pro wrestling? I know you had the injuries and stuff too, but did you enjoy it at all?
0: I enjoyed it tremendously, you know, and, and, I, got such, and I had no clue who Lou Thass was. Somebody said, man, this guy, Food, is doing really good. He's like a Lou Thass. And I asked a friend of mine who was a pro wrestler, he goes, Dude, that's like the biggest compliment you can get. That guy was a freaking machine. and I loved it, man. I, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, what people don't... Well, some people know, but other, other people don't know. Uh, between Thai boxing, this is actually how Chris Dolman, the guy who invited me to come to Amsterdam for the tryout, he saw me at one of these shows that I did. We used to do martial arts shows. A friend of mine was my karate teacher. And we would go, like, for instance, do a nightclub, and at midnight, the music goes down, high-pitched music starts, like uh, house music, and then he and I would come out in our spandex, pumped-up bodies with long sticks, short sticks, new chucks, and we have these fight scenes on the dance floor, and I would kick him in the gut, he would grab my foot, he would throw me back in a somersault, I would kick him in the face while flying, like really highly acrobatic things we would do. And uh, and that became a big thing suddenly in Holland. We started doing it for big organizations, for big Thai boxing events, for Dutch TV. Then it became European TV. We started traveling to Germany, to Berlin, to France. To, we started doing these shows all over the world. And that's on one of these shows. That's when Chris Dolman, the guy I was talking about who invited me to Amsterdam for the tryout, that's where he stopped me because we would come up with backflips and go to the place where we had to do our demonstration. And he goes, good, I remember you from Thai boxing. You were dropping everybody, you know, and now I see you doing all these backflips. Maybe you want to do, maybe you want a free fight. That's what they called it in the beginning. MMA was called free fighting. And I go, what is it? You know, and, and, but that's how, where my interest came from it. So I used to do these kind of fight shows already. So then going to pro wrestling, and I know my timing is great. I can kick you in the head that it looks like I just knocked you out, but I can stop. I, got, I, I know I have that control. It's not a put a feather. I do, I know I have that at least. So once Enoki understood that, you know, that that became fun. Actually, a very funny story is my first show, I'm going against the number two of, um, of New Japan. I'm in the Tokyo Dome. We're talking 60,000 people right, in Tokyo Dome, Don Fry is in my corner, he fights later on the show, and you know, a couple of days before, what happens you you, you work your, you go over what you're going to have to do, right? Mm -hmm. So, they go to a special place where nobody knows you are, they, 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 you go, you rehearse the opening, you rehearse the middle part, and you rehearse the end. That's how it goes, and then in between you just add lips, so to say. And the first thing was going to be, he was a big guy, he was going to throw me in the corner, and then he was going to give me an elbow, and then he was going to give me another elbow, and then he would wind up to the audience like and, oh, and then he would drop me with the third elbow. So the first elbow is perfectly timed. The second elbow is a freaking full hit in my face, and my mind goes in, in, in real mode, I guess. So I knock him out. <laughs> I go like boom, and I go mm. bang, and he's out he's laying on the ground, and I'm looking at Dolph Fry, and this was not in the script, you know, it was just because he hit me real hard, so I automatically just hit him really hard back, and Don goes, I, Don has his hands in his hand, his hat in his hands, and he goes, oh, shit, so the referee start walking around the pro wrestler, <laughs> like two circles, and he goes, one, and he walks one circle around him, <laughs> two, so he gives him a lot of time, and finally he woke up, you know, and then we continued our fight scene, so the next show, when I had that, uh, right away, the the guy that I had to fight, he uh, he said, uh, Mister Ruther, please, uh, n- uh, no real fight. I go, listen, it's very easy. You don't hit me hard, I don't hit you hard. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but you don't know that they're in the dressing room and say, hey, you you know, Boss Ruther, you know the UFC champion, watch tonight. I'm going to elbow him in the face. I don't know what they're going to say, right? They mm-hmm. they, they, they might well. So I'm not going to take any grab. You hit me hard. Well, I'm going to let you know how hard you hit me. I just do it back. So that's what happened. And, uh, but it was great, man. I, I, I loved it so much. Such a great people. The means the Steiner brothers.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. I guess
0: Scott Steiner. Dude, just so much fun with these guys. Uh, oh, she was living at the time in uh, China. Uh, she, she, oh man, she was so awesome. We had such a great time with her. I mean, she was so crazy and out of control, but in a good way. You know, it was such a, she's such a fun lady. All these people. I remember we were eating Korean barbecue in the Tokyo Dome restaurant. This is a big, it's like the Tokyo Dome hotel. They have a restaurant in there, big thing. And the Steiner brought us over with us. And the one said, order uh, ordered chicken. And they said they didn't have chicken. And he looks at me and he goes, I bet you they have chicken. I go, what are you going to do? So he gets up, and he just walks into the kitchen. And he goes in the kitchen, and suddenly, I hear people scream, wah, 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 wah." he comes out with a plate full of chicken. People try to <laughs> stop him, and he just puts it down. Dude, it was insanity. What a good time, man. And Don Fry, what a man. What a freaking man's man, man. When he was completing the peak of his career, oh, man. Such a good dude, too, still, till this day, but you know, he he, he went through some battles. But at that time, uh, that was the guy to have right next to you in a big street fight or in a bar fight. <laughs> you know, it's going to be okay.
1: You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In case anything went down, it's always good to have Don Fry uh, on your side. That's for sure. As far as MMA World and your fighting and stuff, any fights stick out to you? Do you have like a favorite fight or is that kind of impossible to say?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's, I'm happy you say it because they ask me every time and I say exactly what you're saying. It's, it's almost impossible. To, I, listen, I like guys like TJ Dallashaw, of course, uh, Dominic, Cruz, the guys who are really weird, uh, 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 Israel Alassanya, uh, I, I, even George Jones. You know, I, I, I wish that he, he toned down a little bit, but I, I, I think once he gets his. I hope he's going to get his life in order, you know, that, I think he's he, man, what a talent, that guy is such an incredible talent, I, I, I love that, um, Yul Romero, you know, just a guy that age, and, and, and then still fighting at that time, um uh, oh, so, and everybody, uh, uh, Max Holloway, I, I, I no, listen, every champion, I love, uh, the women, you know, it, it it is so hard to say it just because of the reason that you already mentioned because there's so many good fighters uh, out there right now and I just, uh, yeah, every, everybody needs a plug, man. I like Conor McGregor, what he did with bringing the attention to MMA, making it even bigger, you know, the way the showmanship and the way he's talking and the way he's all uh, promoting events, you know,
1: all that stuff, I just love. As far as, Bosch Rudin MMA wrestling. I mean, your your kickboxing, your taekwondo, everything. When people and you're commentating, especially too. But when people look back at you and and like you're retired or you know you're you're done with the business or whatever, you're you're basically in the rear view. What is the le- legacy? What's the stamp of Boss Rudin that you leave behind?
0: He was just a good guy. Yeah, the guy could kick ass, but you know he was a nice guy. He was good to people. He was you know respectful. You know, just have to. Yeah, that's what I want people to know. You know, I never screwed anybody over. We had this whole thing with the bare knuckle uh, organization. You probably heard about that whole thing. it's it's a way too long of a story to to explain. But you know, I had guys like contacting me and saying, "Man, I was such a big fan of yours, and now you screwed these fighters over, and that you, and this." And I go, "You never really be were a big fan of me. I'm sorry." Because if you were a big fan of me, like, for instance, I love The Rock and uh, Dwayne Johnson. And if mm-hmm. somebody would say, oh, he screwed some fighters over, I'm not going to scream at Dwayne Johnson. I'm going to figure first do my homework and figure out if these people were right or wrong, you know, because that's what a real fan does. And if they would have done the homework, they would have known, oh, no, shit, he got screwed, too. He actually lost money too." you know. So... Those things that, that that was no fortunate thing, but if people just know that I'm just there, you know, if you're a friend of mine, I will never let you down. I will always pick up the phone, you know. Uh, my wife, I mean, I treat her like what, well, like the Bible says, one one flesh. I'm 27 years with her. I wish that people would come in our home one time just for a week and, and learn what we do because apparently we found the way, man. There's no fighting in the house, never fighting in the house, no screaming in the house. Like, if I would raise my voice when I was uh, when the kids were young, they would think they was afraid. Then i go, honey, I'm just saying, if I say, listen, can you, excuse me, can you listen? If I just would say that, they would think I'm, afraid, uh, I'm angry. And I go, why would they think that? Because they never hear that. We're, you know... And I think that people need to live like that, you know, give each other a little bit space and having a good time. Just, you know, get the anger out, you know, and if a relationship doesn't work, work on it, because that's what you need to do. Don't divorce or don't just kick them to the curb. There was a moment that you fell in love with that person, you know, let's see if we can rekindle that moment, you know, it takes some work, you know, we had our ups and downs, you know, but just. If you stay with them and go back to the time that you met each other the first time and, and you know, and just know that you're always there for each other. Yeah, of course you can scream, but not, and then suddenly it becomes so good that there's never any fight. I mean, I, I love it. My friends, I go, where can I find Did you have any sisters? Why, why can't I find one? You know, Because if we can love her, and I love her, and, and I love their friends. So I love that. I just want to be a decent person that people say he was a good guy. You know, yeah, it was great. He was an ass kicker. He did some great acting, too, and he did some great pro wrestling. But you know what the best thing was? He was just a good dude, you know. You could always have a good time with him. That's what I want people to know.
1: 28-4-1 career record. One of the greatest fighters of all time. One of the greatest commentators of all time as well. Boss, please give us uh, some plugs and work. Everybody can reach you and maybe even see you either Facebook, streaming, or you know wherever you're kind of shooting those videos.
0: Yeah, so every morning at 10 a.m., uh, except Sunday, but you want to watch Sunday because that's my student, Dana. She's doing a recovery day, so she go, uh, takes you through stretching and all that stuff. But for the rest, uh, on Saturdays, it's Q&A. So if people want to ask me questions, whether it's technical questions, we're at a gym so I can show you techniques as well, or just regular questions, that's on Saturday at 10 a.m. Every day it starts at 10 a.m. Pacific. And then Monday to Friday, we're just working out. So that's on my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash On YouTube, it's youtube.com slash official rhythm. And then on fight.tv, that's an app. You need to have it. But if you have it, you know, they, it's like a Netflix, but they're for fighting, only fights. It's like a UFC pass also, like that, but then all different kind of fighting. I'm on there as well. It's all free so check that out Twitter I'm not a lot on Twitter I will check my Twitters but you know I'm a little bit more on Instagram and, then, and that means I don't react a lot anymore I did this uh, I'm a very devout Catholic I spent a lot of time on that, that I, I did this 90 day they call it the Exodus 90 uh, last year in where from 90 days you have I mean you, there's not a lot you can do you know just they get three meals a day nothing in between no sweets no sugars no TV no movies no sports game nothing everything is cut out but only for your work, you can use your telephone and your computer, and, and that's when I realized that we are wasting a lot of time on things that are really not that important. And after that, you know, my body starts feeling better, less injury, of less pain and inflammation because of all the sugars I cut out. So I start living like that more than I did for the uh, the same as I did for those 90 days, and, and that meant social media. I cut a lot of social media out. Yes, I do the streaming. But you won't see me posting a lot on Instagram and on Twitter. I I I don't do that anymore. I like to show techniques to people. That is something I still enjoy, and people ask for, and then I do it. But for the rest, I'm uh, yeah, took a step back. It's not as important. I hope more people see this as well, and also the youth. You know, it's so important nowadays to have these likes and all that stuff. And if you don't have enough, you're not a cool guy. And I go, guys, it's so superficial. Man, please
1: stop with it. Just be a good person absolutely boss quite an honor quite a pleasure to get you on one of the greatest of all time no doubt about it el guapo himself boss thank you so much for all the time you gave me here tonight
0: you're very welcome my friend thank you for the interview i had a good time as well
1: thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading